The History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to show 52 of the History of Personal Computing podcast. And it's Sunday, December 4th. We're recording a little bit later than we'd like to. But on today's show, we're taking taking a special holiday detour by covering retro computing gift ideas. Uh, And perhaps something that you can give to a loved one or just something you can gift yourself. And uh, did you have any trouble finding anything, Jeff? I had some trouble. There's a lot of things out there that... Uh, have, have been known to be available, and there's a few items that I thought, hey, I might like this, so I, I put in the list because I was looking for some unique stuff. Um, it, it seems like more and more of these things are coming out for yeah. you know stuff for retro computing, and you know we could probably do a show like this every year and have yeah. you know, new stuff as as more things are designed. And I found one particular item with, that's on my list that uh, I thought was rather neat. We'll, we'll get to that then when uh, we start this list. And uh, so, of course, that's Jeff, by the way, and I'm David, your regular co-hosts. And, uh, two college students having yeah. fun, partying. Two young college uh, students. Joining the uh, Tappa Keg of Beer fraternity. <laughs> yeah, the things I chose, so what? Two, eh, I guess technically all of them, well, except for one, I own. So, but I, which I think, of course, they make good gift ideas, and there's so much other stuff. So, plus, as we mentioned a few of these things, it's probably fine if we, you know, if you want to mention other similar things, we can kind of throw that in a little bit. But oh, we'll yes, just highlight we these a, items, huh? We have an email to that effect too. Oh, we do. Yeah, it's, it's somebody sent us an email that had some. Um, basically, it's uh, well, we'll get to it. Okay. When we get okay. To well, why don't you start us off then? So again, these are uh, retro computing gift ideas, and we tried to stick to a basic theme of, um, you know, not not old computers that you'd gift somebody, but rather, you know, new items to help enhance your retro computing experience. Or yes, as, so go ahead. And, and, and as a as a segue from and to this list, uh, you may hear some noise in the background as my 3D printer is printing. I almost put that down as an item. Because you can get them cheap enough if you're willing to build them as a kit. Mm-hmm. That's how I got mine. And, you know, you can print replacement keycaps or, or other stuff. And I used mine to re- to print a replacement bottom door for my Amiga 1200. Um, and, you know, that that would actually be a nice gift for retro computing. Yeah. You know, want to replace broken parts. I almost put that on the list. But there's other stuff available that you know, for those who don't want to build anything or go through the um, initial—I'll call it a hassle—but it's not really a hassle because once you kind of get it done, it it works great. Uh, the configuration, so you know, ju- you know, <laughs> just the right amount of plastic is coming out as you print stuff, so your items don't look like big plastic blobs. Um, but that aside, and I um, assume um, everybody listening is going to hear the same thing I'm hearing since I'm, you know, I'm hearing it through the line and it's getting recorded. So it literally does sound like there's someone standing there like blowing across the top of a bottle. Yeah. It's like that. <laughs> it kind of has that, that sound. Sort of sound yep. or whatever. 
Yeah, that would be the the bearings on the rails as each axis moves. There's two axes that have uh, uh, bearings on rails that moves continuously, and then the Z axis. You'll hear like probably a twirling, just a small mechanical sound is just two stepper motors twirling up uh, to lift the whole extruder carriage up one millimeter or one tenth of a millimeter. Mm. And, and as far as like you found the you 3D printed the bottom to an Amiga um, a door or plate or whatever. So where did you find that? that uh, uh, there is a website out there called thingiverse.com thing I-verse V-E-R-S-E and someone one word. made that, huh? Somebody had designed it, and I downloaded that and put it into my 3D. Well, there's a free program out there called Repetier Host. Then um, you copy this file into it. It's a certain 3D format called STL format. Right. You, you just load it up into the the Repetier Host, and then it will let you slice the object which actually goes through and calculates all the plastic that's going to come out on each layer. It just creates a, a, a total set of codes called G-code that instructs the movement of the extruder head to lay out plastic one layer at a time. So it actually takes this 3D object and slices it in layers, and on each layer it determines the width of the plastic that's ex- extruding, and it creates a movement pattern to lay down plastic um, as if it was one sheet. It takes time to print something, but yeah, it was nice to have that um, a door put on the bottom of the Amiga 1200 so it wasn't exposed. Neat. Anyway, let's get to my first item. This is the one okay. I, I found rather recently, and I didn't know it exists. And it's a little pricey for my needs, but I think it's a, a nice item. It is a uh, Amiga graphics card for the Zorro 2 or Zorro 3 slots, which pretty much covers the Amiga 2000, 3000, and 4000. But it's an FPGA-based graphics card for the Amiga um, that gives you direct HDMI output. So it's basically like a real-time video card. Uh, Your Amiga operating system can display on this video card so you'll have the full HDMI. You have nice, crisp, clean graphics. Um, it, it's not the um, it's not the graphics chipset that's on the Amiga. So this is more for some static work, or if you're doing some basic designs, or um, you're not doing a whole lot of animation. Uh, but for some people who would I would say be using Lightwave or something like that um, to to generate output. Uh, they could use this screen to generate still images and other output. You won't be able to play games on it, but it'll give you a nice, crisp, high-definition uh, display for your Amiga. Oh, would be fast and, enough for gaming? Uh, well, it's it, the screen mapping, and I don't think the, the, the blitter and, and the other graphics components, uh, the, the, the Agnes chip, which is the you know the core of the graphics uh, for the Amiga, um, won't necessarily pump through this mm-hmm. but there are what they call RTG real time graphics cards for the Amiga that give you high color output uh, but there wasn't really anything that did it with true HDMI and this one will give you 1280 by 720 HD screen at 16 bit color and you can also get lower resolutions at 24 bit um, and even has a micro SD card reader for storing you know, data volumes in the Amiga 
But if you want to do uh, real-time graphics compatibility, I think some of the more known cards in the Amiga world were like the Picasso card, which mm-hmm. gave you high high graphics, high resolution output uh, for NTSC uh, or even VGA output. In order to do that with this, you need at least a 68020 or better because it does use some CPU power to produce this. But it also gives you up to uh, 4 megabytes of, uh, or no, it uses 4 megabytes of Zorro 2 address space or up to 32 megabytes of Zorro 3. And I'm looking to the details how that works out. It's probably going to you know, take up some available memory space. Um, it does, but I, I thought it was a great idea. Does it have onboard video RAM? It would have uh, some. It, it would, let's see, it I'm looking. It does, way, it does look like it has some video RAM. Uh, in order for this to work, uh, it would have to have its own processing, and it does because it's FPGA-based. Those yeah. are programmable um, cores. You can basically, with FPGA, you can create anything uh, as long as you know how to program it, and it turns into a hardware solution. So um, I guess somebody could, if they really wanted to, recreate the uh, Amiga Blitter or the Amiga um, Agnes chip in FPGA if they were so inclined to do so. Because uh, basically with an FPGA, you turn, you create new hardware by programming it using um, these gate arrays and a, and a special language. I forget what the language is called. But a lot of a lot of the emulators and stuff coming out of there, like um, if anybody remembers those Commodore 64 joysticks that came right. out uh, years back, that was an FPGA. Okay. Um, so they're Yeah, and... and and FPGAs are just really nice and, and you know, to work with. And some of the higher-end cards for other systems, you know, add-on cards, were most likely done with FPGA. Uh, it's something I wish I had time to get into, do myself. But this is a pretty astounding effort. But it will give you basically high-resolution graphics that are crisp and clear. You know, save the gaming for the NTSC side of it. I mean, that's what the games are written for. But for any other graphics capabilities, 3D graphics and design, you have this as a real-time graphics card, and you can get high resolution out of your Amiga. Mm-hmm. And apparently the workbench works it, on it, too. It is a little pricey, though, huh? So I looked up the conversion it's, rate. So yeah. it's 189 pounds. So right now, that's about $239. Now, it is completely open source, so you can build this yourself. Hmm. I just noticed the link here. They have the... Uh, the Gerber files, if you want to have the boards made. Um, let's see. You'll have to buy the, uh, I think it's the Z2 Mini Spartan uh, FPGA core. And that's probably a good chunk of the price, is the FPGA itself. Um, and then some time and effort. You can get it figured out. So it's nice that it's open source. It might actually be worthwhile in the long run to spend the 189 euro. Um, and it says here officially supported by NetBSD7. I didn't realize that was available for the uh, Amiga. And the whole the Zorro that that's what you call the Amiga bus. That's yeah the slots and the buses, the Zorro slot. Hmm. So Zorro two, Zorro three, so Amiga two thousand, three thousand, and four thousand. But even if this doesn't pan out to be anything spectacular. It indicates that stuff can be done. Expect to see more like this. But this is a great attempt, um, you know, to get high resolution, 
static graphics out of the Amiga. Like, like I said, leave the gaming to the original hardware because that that all looks good. Yeah, because that's what the games were designed for, that lower resolution, high color stuff. Hmm. But for anything else, for a nice large screen workbench um, on a nice crisp HDMI output, something like this would work great. Cool. And then you can mount your micro SD cards for storage. A lot of interesting pictures over at the the link about the open source stuff. Yeah, you're looking at the GitHub. Yeah, GitHub and then screenshots and different boards and some interesting people. I don't know what, I don't know the significance of these uh, women are in this one picture. It's just, just an image, I guess, just showing a JPEG. Okay. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. These three yeah, like very uh, punk, punk looking women in this one picture. And then a shot of screenshot of doom. So you can play doom with it, huh? Oh, I guess. I wonder if part of the hardware gives you, uh, the Amiga output in it looks like it's in like a corner, a quarter of the screen, which you know probably yeah. is. Yeah, uh, right. That's what it looked like. It's it's all great ideas. I'm looking at the. He's using what? Uh, what's he using here for drawing? Uh, is he using? Uh, let's see. Oh, there's the pictures. Boy, there are a lot of pictures on this. So you can play Doom on it. He has a to do list. Um, digitizing and scan dumbling the, the native Amiga video for HDMI output. You know, put that in there, and it's going to be a mass seller. That's exactly what people want. They want to put their original Amiga video on modern displays, and being able to, you know, you could buy a scan doubler for that and install it in your Amiga, and that's probably the only solution available f- for the Amiga 500 and and the 600, um, and even well, and even the 1200 for that matter. Um, but for the ones with the Zorro slots, if you can put a scan doubler in there, uh, that would be the ultimate card. You know, I, I would probably put down money for that. Because well, then I don't have to worry about the 1084S going bad. So that is very interesting. And so again, so this is uh, giving you a more modern graphics output for a vintage computer. And I know there... Um, I know there's other similar solutions for other platforms too. I think didn't I see something recently? Was it uh, it's VGA for like an Apple II GS? Oh, that would be nice. I it, I could be wrong, but I think I've seen that in passing somewhere. And again, I know that it exists for some other platforms, other similar solutions. But that's specifically HDMI uh, graphics for Amiga 2000, 3000, 4000. So um, so moving along, I chose something that's actually been around for quite a while. This is just the newest incarnation, and it's the Atari Flashback 7. So here on um, Amazon, anyway, it's uh, $49.81 prime with prime shipping, so free shipping. Um, I think they do carry these at Bed Bath & Beyond, and probably, you know, if you're patient, well, you can you, generally you can get 20% off coupons, so maybe you can get it cheaper locally. <laughs> and or, if you don't have one, <laughs> you, you got to listen to that, uh, who, who is it, um, Panette's. Um, What's that? Who was that Panette uh, comic? Um, the, the guy who would always uh, joke about the buffet. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I forget <laughs> his name. He would joke about the Bed Bath & Beyond 20% coupons, and it, it's actually a pretty funny skit. Yeah, you don't ever buy anything from Bed Bath & Beyond, Bath and Beyond without a coupon, because you generally can always find $5 off or 20% off. 
John so, Panette. Yeah, I don't. Unfortunately, yeah. he passed away, but he has a really good funny skit thing about, about that. Bed Bath and Beyond. Yes, it's and this actually happened to me at a Bed Bath and Beyond um, around Veterans Day, if I may say, if I may break away here, going a yeah. tangent. Right, I went into Bed Bath and Beyond. We were looking for some stuff um, for for remodeling a room, and and it was Veterans Day weekend, and I. I went in there. I saw the big sign that said twenty five percent off whole weekend for veterans. I thought, okay, that's nice. Yeah, they have their twenty percent off coupons. But I was standing in line. I did not have a coupon. John Panette jokes that you know he goes into a Bed Bath and Beyond and he didn't have a coupon, and then everybody was feeling sorry for him, handing him you know many of the copies of the coupons that he has. Like you know he he was a poor boy who couldn't figure out what's going on in the world. You know they would make sure he has his name in his jacket and stuff like that. He tells it a lot better. But that's kind of what it's like. You go into Bed Bath and Beyond. It's almost like the people, the regulars, know who doesn't have coupons, and they're immediately handing them to you because oh. they feel sorry for you, yeah, and have to give you one. And I said, "No thanks. I'm a veteran. I'm going to get 25 percent off. Thank you very much." But, <laughs> uh, but it's it's a good uh, it's a good uh, story about uh, how Bed Bath and Beyond was, and, and I heard the jokes long before from him, and and it's just it was funny how it happened to me when I was. Uh, in the store, it really does happen. If you go in there without one, people are going to hand them to you. They can almost sense it. So, okay. So this is now the Atari Flashback 7. This is the most current version of this. And um, it, so if you're not familiar with this, the, the new they've upped the number of games that it in, included in it. Um, it has 101 games. It looks like a, a little miniature version of the 2600, you know, Atari console um, with big colorful buttons versus the switches, and now I think for the last couple of versions, it it has the will look like authentic Atari um, joysticks, but they're wireless. And for what I can do, a quick—I uh, didn't realize this—but a quick uh, look at the reviews here on Amazon, it's getting terrible reviews because of the wireless controllers. Yeah. And, uh, and then I quickly looked over at the Atari Flashback Six, and it 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 doesn't look as bad, but it looks like it got a lot of mixed reviews too. So. So that's unfortunate, but here's the thing, and I did see where someone answered a question. You, it does have plugs. So if you if you own um, an earlier version of Atari Flashback with the plug-in joysticks, or you have a real original Atari uh, joysticks or compatible, you could plug those into this and use it. So you know whether it's worth it or not. But anyway, uh, the Atari Flashback Seven. Um, but along those lines, especially if you go to Amazon in the link and you scroll down in the area where it says customers who bought this item also bought, you can see the, uh, the Sega, Sega Genesis classic game console, um, which has been out for a while. You can, I know you can definitely find those at bed, bath and beyond. And then there's a Coleco vision flashback. Um, what's Dollar that? general has those too, I believe. What's the other one in television? Flashback yeah. I console. have the Intellivision and ColecoVision ones myself. Yeah. Which I are pretty, also have those the, are pretty good. I also have the Sega Genesis arcade ultimate portable, Yep, and I think you can get those at Bed Bath & Beyond. Of course, you can get them at you know Amazon and eBay. And just speaking about the the Atari flashback, of course, if you this intrigued you and you but you're like oh I got mixed feelings on this new one, maybe you could get a five or a four or something, and you, you know, get them six. all day long off. Of, well, six is wireless too. Oh, is it wireless? Okay, yeah, so, so the five. Um, maybe they'll get it right in eight. But you can get them off eBay, you know, too. So you could get a slightly older one if that suited you. But pretty neat. So this is a trend now. And I did look, and apparently the uh, you know NES Nintendo is bringing out an NES 
reproduction gaming console. And it's, it's already not- out, yeah. Well, I don't see that it's out in the U.S. yet. Or I, I would have chose that. At oh, least- I haven't checked to see where they're coming out, but I've seen people talk about them on From what uh, I can tell, there's only like on a Facebook. EU console so far. Oh, okay. But so these reproduction gaming systems are, of course, um, been around for a while, different ones. You can buy different joysticks that have some games in them. Um, in fact, on the same page, there's a Pac-Man one. It sort of looks like it looks like the Pac-Man, yellow Pac-Man is a joystick. Excuse me, I have this one, and it has um, a couple different Pac-Man games. And it has one of my all-time favorite, um, kind of lesser-known arcade game called um, – I'm going blank. Not Bosnian. That's not right. Darn it. Can't remember what it's called. Um, oh, um, uh, close to the name Bosnian. I'm trying. Oh, uh, can't. Let me. Well, I'm gonna switch over it, and it should tell me here on the uh, Bosconian. Yeah, Bosconian. So it's got that in it, and that's a that's a great handheld. Um, and purists would only hope that they're using the original ROMs and doing hardware emulation instead and of rebooting every single now, game. But but like, go, for instance, that Atari Flashback, the very first one. I think the big complaint about it was that they were all emulated. And yeah. I think starting with the two, that's when they started using the real ROMs and stuff. Yeah, that makes it really nice. But, you know, anybody who's nostalgic for old gaming systems and uh, maybe they, you know, they haven't moved into uh, MAME or anything yet, <laughs> this could be a, a, you know, quick and cheap way to throw them some nostalgia. They can hook right up to their TV and just start enjoying. Yeah, and they were, if the... I don't know if I have any of the Atari ones, but I do have the um, Intellivision and ColecoVision one, the latest versions. I think there were some different ones before, and I liked them. Uh, They played rather well. Unfortunately, they didn't have a lot of the more popular games because of licensing issues, but they still played. In fact, they do have the Dungeons & Dragons one, but they gave it a different name. Mm-hmm. Because of licensing issues, they couldn't use Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, so they called it something else. Uh, but it's still the same game. And, and I they, have well, I have the ColecoVision flashback. It's got sixty games in it, off, so it looks like it's forty five dollars at Amazon. Not Prime though. But um, and the controllers in the Intellivision one have that same disc, and it can be used on an Intellivision two that has the same kind of nine pin uh, connector, mm-hmm. as long as you have a special adapter that rewires a couple of the pins. So you can actually get replacement Intellivision controllers through one of these for your Intellivision too. But for you're right; real. a lot of the games are not so great. But you know, and actually, like mine, I got my ClecoVision with a coupon at Bed Bath and Beyond for only like twenty four dollars or something. Oh, you and can't so, beat that. So the yeah. few games that are good, and, you know, it's worth it for that. Um, and then just in closing, my my little this item for me out. You know, unfortunately, with the Atari flashback, lots of great nostalgia there. There certainly are some good, fun games, but for me, just the they are so primitive at this point. The nostalgia doesn't last very long before you're, you know, for me anyway. I can't play them too long. No, I remember just not, they're just so bad. I mean, compared to you know, far we've come. They're just so primitive. The Atari twenty six hundred stuff. It is. It's it's definitely a nostalgia thing. Yeah, once you get into Intellivision and ColecoVision, I think it's you know it steps up a little bit. So. Oh yeah, it was Venture for ColecoVision. I used to play that all the time. Mm-hmm. And really, there wasn't much on the ColecoVision that wasn't a licensed game. Right. So well, just the quality was better too, though. Oh yeah, I, the better I, graphics and stuff. Yeah, I think arguably those two consoles, or maybe especially ColecoVision, was sort of the first arcade quality console. 
they, they advertise it as, as such, too. So take it away on your next. What do you got? Nope. Let, me, let me get back to that. My next one is. Oh, yeah. And it's been around for a little while, but I don't recall ever talking about it before you, on the do you show. Have one of these? I wish. But one of these days I will. Okay. I, eventually I'm going to expand uh, my stuff. I, I'm kind of a purist and I don't like to go beyond what the original hardware is, but I'm finding there's a limit to that. <clears throat> and you really have to bust through that in order to get more functionality or fun out of these systems. So this one here, and I think I heard about this at. Um, VCF, what right? is it? VCF Midwest last year. Tell me um, what it is. They're dying. 64, 64 <laughs> NIC Plus. It's basically an Ethernet interface for your Commodore 64. It goes into the expansion slot and gives you Ethernet connectivity uh, 10 megabit. So it's not fast, but it's more than fast for the Commodore 64. And then it gives you, um, let's see, it emulates the popular RRNet solution, which I never actually worked with. And then the next 64 and TFE systems. Uh, obviously, some standards that were created for for this type of connectivity. Um, so, one of the first things you get for it, for a price of fifty nine dollars US plus shipping, which isn't a bad price actually, you get a reset switch. You know that alone is worth the fifty nine dollars. You know, an actual reset switch instead of having to turn it off and on. Uh, onboard ROM socket for auto boot functionality, and you can put up to 200, 200, uh, 256 kilobyte ROMs in there. So, I guess. Through this, you can modify. I wonder if it lets you load Jiffy DOS into it, which is another product that they mm. sell. Um, this is uh, Retro Innovation selling this. Well, uh, that's uh, Jim Brain, who's. Yes. I think he's been to, correct me if I'm wrong, he's been to at least the last few VCF Midwest and Easts, right? Didn't he usually yeah, go to. Yeah, I bought my Jiffy DOS set from him, which I still have yet to install. It's in a drawer right beside me here. Um, it, yeah, Jiffy DOS for. Uh, I think the 1571 is what I got. Uh, yeah, great guy, really smart. knows knows how, knows these systems inside and out, and knows what it takes to interface it to the uh, modern external computing world. Um, and then there's a rotary switch on it that you can select the the ROM images that you put onto a ROM. I thought this had let's see a clear plastic en- enclosure. I thought this had um, storage, but no, it doesn't. But still, there are solutions available. When you plug this into your Commodore 64, hook it up to the to the internet, you can access resources, almost like cloud computing resources for the Commodore 64, games, storage, you know, software, all that kind of stuff, right through the internet. Hmm. Yeah, and so he primarily has been making. Uh I know you're going to cover one other item I guess he's selling, but he's got a number of items and mostly Commodore 64, but um, he kind of moved into another area too recently, which you'll, you chose and we'll talk about in a moment. Yes, I did. And that's an up and coming thing. So, um, so moving right along, this is something that I own that uh, I heard about from James and John of the retro Mac cast. So it's, it's Mac related. It's called the floppy emu. So floppy and then, you know, E-M-U. And, um, and so basically it's a floppy emulator for the Macintosh, for vintage Macs. And it connects to the, um, the, the floppy port on the back of a classic Mac. And uh, I think Macs continued to have those ports for well into the early 90s somewhere. Um, but then I know since he first brought it out, he expanded it to work with Apple II. 
And then now it even works with the Apple Lisa. And so I've played around with, with doing that. You have to, um, what would you call that? You have to change like the bite, you know, like uh, flash it or whatever. I think to, yeah. to have it work with the Apple too. So mine is flash to work with a Mac, you know, or my Lisa. So instead of the CFFA 3000, you can get this, mm-hmm. which this is available. Yeah. Even though it's external, it's available. You don't have to wait for the next run of CFFA 3000, which I believe is in November 2017. Um, you can get this today and now. And it's, uh, and you know, great product. Like like a lot of these guys that, that make these things, it's, you know, miraculous and the quality is, is really great. It's got a little screen on it and a menu system, which is sort of reminiscent of, you know, early Mac uh, OS as well as like, uh, reminds me a little bit like an iPod, you know, which was awesome. Well, the nice thing is you don't have to issue archaic commands to get it to switch disk. You can mm-hmm. see the disk that you've yeah. copied onto your uh, memory card uh, and then pick it right up and then it's bang it's it's inserted so you know changing disks for a multi-disk system is as simple as finding it in the list and choosing it that's a very nice thing about it and so let's see here so just the floppy emu so there there's an earlier model a and it's sale on sale for 79 dollars oh, it's out of stock though and then there's the model b which is 109 dollars. and i think that's all you really need he has a package here for 139 where you get a Oh, disc extension cable. You get a full-size SD adapter, vintage Apple software collection SD card, which I recommend that. I have that with mine in the clear acrylic case. So that's the full sweet, sweet deal there. But just, you know, pretty neat. So check it out. Can't beat it for your, your Apple stuff. Yeah, especially Apple II. I mean, it's it's cool that it works on the Mac, but the fact that it also works on the Apple II. Yeah. It's really nice. And Lisa. And Lisa. There you go. For, and of course, yeah. there's, there's... All of us own in Lisa. <laughs> there's more and more of these. This is probably the most common, uh, you know, retro sort of solution for vintage computing that's coming out. I think every every main platform has something like this now. Every one of them, I believe. So you got the PC's got one. Um, you know, Apple II, Mac, Lisa, Atari... Commodore, um, some of the Tandy, you know, I'm missing stuff. Yeah, I have a Commodore one, Mega. and I forget what it was called. I bought it, received it a month ago, and never hooked it up yet. But it's a micro SD card uh, flash drive uh, for the Commodore 64 that comes in a case that looks like a Mini 1541. Oh, yeah, I have one of those. Or is it an SD? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not micro SD. It's a, an SD card slot. Mm-hmm. I didn't hook it up yet because I have to, um, I want to set up my. SX sixty four to use it. Uh, can't wait to use it. Just yeah, I have finding it too. Time. I haven't used it yet. <laughs> hey, I but like I have it. it, so I know I'm good to go with it. Uh, but, so we're hi- highlighting a couple specific, you know, some specific things here. But you know, whatever your favorite old system is, and you, if you weren't aware of it, just do some searching. You can probably find something similar. There's other solutions. You know, disk drives are are completely you know mostly mechanical, so they're the first things to start going, and so. This, these type of products are some of the best and easiest way to, you know, continue using your real vintage equipment by eliminating the more, you know, mechanical things. Of course, at some point, they're all going to crap out, especially power supplies and stuff, and there's no emulating power supplies. <laughs> no, you can only just rebuild them. You can replace them, them, right, or rebuild them or whatever. Well, they're already doing that for Macintoshes, right? Yeah, and Apple I think so. they, yeah. they have, in fact, yeah, the last... Uh, 
uh, Kansas Fest, they had a soldering session going on where you can solder together your own replacement power supply. But, you know, they'll all be gone one day and not working at all anymore. But as long as you can, uh, the real hands-on iron kind of stuff should go for it. Absolutely. But what you got next? And th- My next item, I had to give the, the little ZX81 a shot at hopefully stardom. And I found this little... It's an expansion interface for the ZX81 computer. Um, everybody kind of knows... Uh, who owns a ZX81 and had that RAM pack that you know you spent hours typing in something mm-hmm. only to slightly bump the RAM pack and you lose everything because you didn't save your 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 data because those RAM packs never sat tight. Well, uh, let's see. This is so my retro. It's um, I don't think they're in the U.S. No, I was going to say that it's almost as interesting as this item is this website. It's a whole other yeah. sort of just a vintage computing source site. add-ons for your vintage computers. But I like this ZX81 thing a bit because it has an SD card interface that you basically put your files on the SD card and you load them by name. You don't have to virtually switch drives or whatever. You just load it by name. You just got a huge storage area and you just load the program. The, the interface takes care of everything else. It also comes with 32K RAM, which you know goes beyond the 16K that you could expand a ZX81 to. And it also includes um, new basic uh, extension commands. Like, well, we all know save and load, but this also has, like, catalog, delete, and config, whatever it's designed for. It's probably designed specifically for this um, uh, device uh, to give you more, you know, capabilities to managing your files. Uh, you Normally, you would have to know um, the... Um, what tape you're on or whatever. No, you don't need, even need tapes for this. You can just load them up from the SD card that you stick in there. Plus, it also includes a reset button, um, solder pads if you want to attach a joystick. And then this this company makes a sound module that can be used independently but can also piggyback on this card to give you enhanced sound for your ZX81. Plus, there's uh, a lot of support for it. They say it's actively supported, so there's probably... Uh, uh, a forum somewhere uh, and if you ever want to read the manual it's here too so you can see exactly what it can do and how it does it it's great yeah, it's, and it's not a bad price either um, oh I clicked on something else it took me to a different page uh, let's yeah see. I know I have the conversion thing up 50 yeah. pounds which if if it's 1.5 to 1 you're talking about $75 yeah US. a little less than that I think now but yeah oh because yeah the dollar's stronger on the pound now and then plus shipping, I guess. Um, so it's it's still under a hundred dollars US. You get a <laughs> for the price of another of an original ZX eighty one. You can expand your ZX eighty uh, one. But yeah, this site has all sorts of other neat. Um, I mean, well, you can even buy the rubber feet for your ZX eighty one. Maybe build one from scratch. This is almost like the JC Whitney catalog of uh, vintage computers. And we need more sites like this in the US. Someone needs yeah. to start a good vintage computing site for selling old computers and stuff. Oh, lots of things that can be done. But I looked it up. It is in the UK, and it's related to something called the Internet Business Angels, which is kind of interesting out of, uh, was it Staffordshire, Stoke-on-Trent. Well, anyway, in the UK. So, okay. Now, 
we've been looking at all these little add-ons. You picked something that's complete. Yep. So again, this is something that that I have, and it's uh, I think someone who is really into vintage computers who doesn't have a real one of these would probably be pretty stoked to receive this as a gift. So it's the Altair 8800 clone. And um, you know what? In my opinion, I think it's a pretty doggone awesome bargain because uh, Michael Douglas, who I interviewed, so I have a great interview with him when he first came out with this on, on my website, classiccomputing.com. And, um, and, he, and actually, he has a link here at the bottom of the first page here to the interview, so you can check it out. But he still sells this for the same price that the original Altair 8800 costs, so $621. Um, but he throws in free stuff to yeah, bring put the together. value up. And then now, so the difference is that, so it absolutely looks authentic. It runs authentic. It's for all practical purposes. It's, it's a real brand new MITS Altair 8800 computer. You know, the giveaway though would be if you pick it up, it weighs next to nothing because there's hardly anything in it. So because, is it the same size? Yeah. Yeah. So the outer case and everything, it's very authentic and how it looks and all. But of course, inside it doesn't have the big uh hunk and power supply and s on hundred bus and all the boards and everything it has the the reproduction uh you know just a little circuit board that sits on the back of the front panel i'm reading it's priceless it's almost like this could be a weight there's more yeah we'll include 1k of static memory for free original price 139 but, it, uh, but it's great i mean if you want to if you want to have something that totally looks authentic and feels authentic other than don't not picking it up or whatever and then, and then you can completely use it like a real altair it, then it, there it is it is one but um oh did it stop your 3d printer no, no, I, I'm sorry. I've been muting so I can drink oh. some iced tea. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, just suddenly stop, really. I, I didn't even think okay. about it. it was hiding that sound. So, um, but there you go. As far I mean, looking at his website, it didn't say like it's sold out or or anything. So apparently, it's it's still there. Yeah, he's done a lot of great updates to it. Um, there's modules and software where you can. It's essentially even has a front panel. It operates like a turnkey. You know. Does it have an S100 bus on it? No. Okay, nope. maybe that's something he'll do in the future. Oh, there it is in the frequently asked questions. Does not have an S100 bus. Right, okay. right. So it, um, you know, it didn't have a bus at all. It just has the and, – and I haven't spoken about it or looked at this about it in quite a while. I know I asked him these questions in our interview, and that was a couple of years ago. But um, I, is, I guess it is emulating? I, see, there's – you know, I think technically it is an emulation, but it's like uh, – it's That's like a good a, point. Is it emulating? Or, uh, or it's not a whole lot to emulate. Or that, actually, I take it back. I don't think it is. I don't think it's emulating. I think it's a, it's like a reproduction. You know. It, yeah. In other words, it's still electrically the same thing. Yeah. Software um, and everything. Compl- it's authentic as far as that goes. It says goes. here the eighty eighty CPU emulation in the Altair clone passes a tough set of cpu oh, okay. tests okay some of these tests exercise undocumented features undocumented features and uh, quirks of the 8080 cpu okay uh, several popular emulators on the internet cannot pass this test uh so it says it'll run all altair software that's designed to run on the hardware present in the clone um oh you went to hard- faq page so yeah yes so that is cool i mean I just even, admit, if, pretty- even if it's 98 99 emulation it's still a pretty good effort. Right, right. So, so there you go. I um 
you know, I'm really proud and happy to have mine because I don't have a real Ultra 8800. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't see a time coming up in the near future uh, as they get more and more expensive to find a nice, clean, really good one for, you know, I don't know, three grand at this point. Yeah, the own. true. So, so for me, it's well worth the $600 to have an Altair 8800 sitting here on my shelf, and I can turn it on every so often and play with it and stuff. Watch the blinking lights. And, of course, now I have a theme going, Jeff, of course, because I've got my front mm-hmm. panel Altair 8800, then I've got my PDP, my Pi DP 8 front panel, yes. right? Yes, that's a cool one, too. And then I've got my MSI 8080, reproduction i got recently um the red and blue toggle switches yep so so i've got all, all these different they're all reproductions but you know me personally it's like i would love to own yeah you know, like owning the real stuff and it's and it's neat and all but i'm just as happy to have a reproduction and then on the next episode we'll have a reproduction of of david grealish <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, my my uh, the car I drive is sort of a reproduction. It's a modern Beetle. That's true. So, uh, but you know, and and he, and your motorcycle is a reproduction. Yeah, yep, you're right. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I drive a. If anybody wants to look it up, I, we've talked about it before one other time. But it's a Suzuki TU250X, and basically, it's a 2015. It's a modern. It is a totally like uh, it's a 1970s Suzuki brought into the modern world. So uh, I think the only difference is to look, really look at it. Is the seats are just barely different. And I guess for safety concerns, they did not put circular rear view mirrors on it. They're rect- rectangular, like wide format, if you will, for safety reasons. And otherwise it looks completely like an authentic seventies motorcycle, um, a street bike, you know, classic street bike, but also it's got, you know, electric start and disc brakes and so it's got modern safety features. And I yeah. think otherwise, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty Nothing much Nothing like a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, otherwise it's a, it's a classic, simple, you know, 250cc motorcycle engine and, and such. <sighs> All right. So another fast drive. So here you go. Back to yes. uh, Jim Brown. Uh, yep. Going back to the yeah the Jim Brain retro innovation stuff. Uh, this is for all the Coco one, two, and three owners. A Coco Flash. Right. Now, this this was an offshoot for him because he'd been all Commodore there for a while. Yes. Right? He, he got into tanny things, and I saw that. I thought, okay, I got to add this. Eight megabytes of flash ROM storage, which means you can store up to a thousand eight K cartridge ROMs or five hundred twelve sixteen K cartridge ROMs. It also gives you 64K of EEPROM storage to save data, as they suggest, save game save storage or other data. Has Orchestra 90 compatibility, including stereo out. So there's a nice, hmm. you know, sound card wow. um, add-on. Uh, two user-defined switches for your own I.O. use. One user-defined LED, so you can program your uh, Coco to blink an LED. And cartridge bank support, so you can put those larger cartridges that were that that bank things. Hmm. And the neat thing about this, as far as uh, addressing space within the memory map of the computer, it only uses four bytes. It doesn't take up a whole like ROM bank of storage like some other devices might be for other platforms. Only four bytes of I/O space is used for this cartridge uh, to interface with it, and that might make you know programming things a lot easier. The only problem is it's not going to be ready for Christmas. The expected release date is the 12th of January, 2017, for only 50 bucks. It's it's a really good deal for something like this. Oh, I see. I didn't realize but it hadn't come out yet. Doesn't mean you can't give 
this as a Christmas gift or a holiday gift because a retro innovation sells gift certificates. Huh. So buy a gift certificate for the person who wants one of these and then they can cash it in for the Coco Flash after it's released. So we still stay within the spirit of this episode. But Very it's cool. great to see this. Coco's don't really have much of a flash solution if they, if they have any at all. And this looks very good for the price. Hmm. 50 bucks and then you have, you know, you can store your ROMs and you, and we all know the ROMs are out there. So, you know, put all your cartridge ROMs on this. Uh, now I I guess this uses the expansion slot on the side. I do not know if you'll be able to use a floppy drive once you do that. You may still need to get one of those um, those cartridge expansion, you know, those multi-pack expansion things to be able to use this and a floppy drive. Um, so that would probably be the only drawback. But something tells me if this becomes popular and if people ask for it, he may build a pass-through in for your floppy drive. That would probably add a few bucks to it, but I think that would be an ultimate add-on. You know... Um there's been people that uh, I think you have something like this where you can basically have the disk images on your laptop and then you just have a connecting cable or interface or whatever so that you connect it to your vintage computer. And then basically your, your modern computer just acts like a server. Don't you have something like that? Are you- uh, I've used something similar. Uh, doesn't, um, oh, what is it for the Apple? Isn't there something for Apple that does that? Maybe. A2 server. Yeah. Something like that. It seems like sort of all around that might be one of the you know the better solutions because then you could just have all your images on your your modern computer and then just you could change off different interfaces. You know, I know there's computers. a Commodore server that does something similar, but I think it requires that network adapter to do it. Hmm. I haven't explored it. I know things like that exist, so you can get all your software online and just bring it down as if it were you know a floppy yeah connected to your computer. I wish I had time to explore some of those things. Me uh, too. Yeah, well, you know what it's like with school now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have less time to do things. Yep. A lot I, of I'm writing. one class away from finishing. Crazy uh, writing. Yeah, lots of writing. That's right. Well, I have um, – so I'm taking two classes now, and then I'm, so I'm looking at four more – you know, eight more classes to graduate. So four more times of doing two classes. So it's been it's, it's been great, though. And, you know, my wife is doing, taking two classes, too. She went back to college. So it's uh, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, because ours is all online. Yeah, they got to they gotta make sure that you can find information for the subject you're learning and write about it and understand it. Mm-hmm. A lot of your grades come down to the understanding of it. Yep. And you have to do a lot of the work yourself. But I'm you enjoying know, it. Yeah, it, like, I know this week I'm learning about virtualization of... Uh, uh, services, cloud computing, that kind of stuff. And I'm actually enlightened to some of the stuff that could happen out there. Hmm. It's amazing. With cloud computing, you virtualize your computer system. Basically, they provide you what looks like a whole PC interface. You know, right. All the hardware and stuff's running on their services. So you install your operating system. You have your operating system. You do your stuff. But you're co-hosted on big machinery with other people. That's how they sell these services to you. And I'm learning things like it's possible for people to drop out of their virtual server and connect to another virtual server on the same machine and possibly steal data. 
and you don't even think about this stuff. Yeah. But it can happen, and this is the kind of stuff I'm learning about you know, to keep in mind. And it's just you know, amazing some of the stuff that you learn. You, you don't figure it out on your own, but you know, through these uh, classes and studies, you your your eyes become wide open. And right. it's like I always thought, well, if they go to virtualization of services at work, um, it's one thing. I mean, there is a convenience to it, but then you know, depending on how important your data is, there could be an additional set of threats you know, to your data. A lot of things you got to think about. All right. Well, I have the last uh, item, and I so I cheat a little bit and went with a few items because I think we can talk about them really quick. And it's a huge, this is another big area, and that's books. So, um, so I just picked a few that are some of my more recent favorites. So this first one is uh, one that just came out, uh, I guess it's been out two and a half years. I only discovered it like a year or so ago. And, uh, and I think in all these cases, there's audio versions, but I'll, I'll let you know, let everyone know. So there is an audio book version of this one. It's called When Computing Got Personal by Matt Nicholson, A History of the Desktop Computer. I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. And I felt like, um, you know, I've read the stories about the beginnings of the computer revolution, you know, generally starting with the Altair and going through, you know, the milestones, different things. So I've heard it all before and read it all before numerous times, but I felt like this book really, um, you know, crossed some, some ground that had, I hadn't really heard about, I don't know, or differently or whatever. It was, it was very enjoyable in any case. I highly recommend it. I think if you look at reviews on Amazon, uh, yeah, pretty much overwhelming, all fives and fours. I think one person I remember when I had read reviews, like said, "Oh, it looks like they like maybe they didn't they didn't mention uh, everything. Like maybe they didn't mention Tandy, in fact, which I don't remember exactly now." <laughs> Everybody but, wants a bit of their favorite but, in these books, and but that not- can happen. Yeah. Um, but in any case, so this is available in Kindle, paperback, or Audible when computing got personal. So highly recommend it. Great book, and it's a recent one that came out that I. I read listen to the next one is actually an old book which i've owned and read a few times but it recently finally came out on audio and so i bought the audible uh version of it and listened to it for the first time so this was uh so in 2010 they came out the 25th anniversary originally came out in 1984 hackers heroes of the computer revolution by stephen levy and so uh so just recently there's an audible version highly recommend it great 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 uh, book, um, it it does give the history of computing, but not not your typical history, and not a not a full on um, what I want to say comprehensive history. It starts off talking about um, some of the early hackers, and you know, duh, I can't remember anything to talk about it right now. But it was at like a, like a a, comp- a railroad computing club at MIT, and how they did a lot of hacking stuff. And by the way, hacking originally did not mean anything bad. It meant hacking in a good way. People like, who made yeah made things work out of right. something you know, with Being little clever resources. and with the little they yep. had figuring things out and stuff. Um, and then it talks about the beginning of the personal computer, the hacker ethic is what that's called. Um, it also then the last part it talks about um, the updated material, like from Mark Zuckerberg, as it says here. Does it? Yes, it says it's been updated with material from noteworthy hackers such as Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. I, I don't know if I'd call him a hacker. Yeah. Um, and Richard Stallman. Well, oh, so there's an afterword, I guess. Yeah. 
But so the four main parts are the the first part is called True Hackers, Cambridge, the 50s and 60s, the Tech Model Railroad Club. It talks about the hacker ethics, space war. Um, and then it gets into the hardware hackers of Northern California, the 70s, um, the Home Computer Club, WAS, all that stuff. And then game hackers the uh, in the 80s. And you get into, um, darn it, what's it called? The... Um, Sierra Online. It, it yes. goes a lot into about Sierra Online, which is very interesting. So again, yeah, Sierra Online, they had some pretty smart people mm-hmm. doing and, stuff. Uh, and, and I'm going blank here. Williams, right? What was her name? The woman that did the first. Oh, uh, oh, oh, Roberta Williams. Rob- yeah, exactly. Roberta Williams. And then her husband, which I can't remember his name, but Williams. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, an old book, but that's been that's been around forever. It's still a great book. Been you know updated a little bit. It's available on audio. Audio. So lastly, I also chose Revolution in the Valley. So this is definitely for for Mac people. There's lots of books about Steve Jobs. I could recommend specifically in books about Apple. Yeah, I bought going, the Kindle version of this. It's a great book. Yeah, going back, uh, this type this book though particularly is called Revolution in the Valley: The Suddenly Great Story of How the Mac Was Made was uh, put together by Andy Hertzfeld, one of the original team members of the Macintosh um, project. And then there are a lot of stories from the different team members and stuff about those times and bringing the Mac together and about Steve Jobs, different things. So it's, it's rather like light, light reading, you know? Yeah. And I think some of the stories in this book were excerpted and put on the folklore.org. Yeah. Website. It was actually, actually, it was taken from, from that. Oh, is it well, the other way around? Okay. Yeah. So actually you can go other? to folklore.com and read it for free. Yes, you can. It, and it, but still, it's it's a nice coffee table book. Yep. Uh, with all that stuff, there, there's some really good stories from the ones I read on folklore. I think that's what it was. I read a bunch of them on folklore, then I uh, learned about the book, and I thought, okay, it'd be good to have that book um, instead of popping back to folklore all the time. But if you're a big yeah. Mac person, I think you'd probably enjoy owning this book. And uh, and it's the know. thing. I wasn't a Mac person, but I really enjoyed the stories here. I think this is the one where the Steve Jobs reality distortion field yeah. was brought. The term was brought to the public. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because I first read it. There's a so the guy I mentioned, Stephen Levy, who wrote um, Hackers in '84. He okay. also ten years later wrote a book called Insanely Great, and it was a history of the Macintosh. And there's been so I, which is, predates this book, and there, there's been other ones too. I'm trying to think what's another. Um, Another book I own, which is the history of uh, Apple, and and it got updated. Let me look real quick, and it's also really good. Let's see if it'll show up here. Oh, there's a bunch of them, and oh, here it is. Uh, Return, Return to the Little Kingdom, and it, and it, it got an updated edition somewhat recently. So I can recommend that. So just now, look scrolling down, looking through Amazon, Fire in the Valley, another great book. Here's the insanely great Accidental Empires. Um, insanely simple. A great another book about Steve Jobs, specifically in recent um, Infinite Loop, uh, which is a book about Apple, which was written just before Steve Jobs came back. So that gives you kind of a different perspective. I tell you another really interesting book, and, and is uh, the one that was by Gil Emilio. He was a guy that Steve Jobs he he was the guy that brought Steve Jobs back in, and Steve Jobs kind of got him ousted. <laughs> yeah, and uh. And his his book is actually pretty interesting. Yep, Steve upset a few people, and uh... yeah. So, anywho, so there you go. Lots of books. 
So, of course, magazines and books are some of the best ways to enjoy mm-hmm. retro computing, about retro computing. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, and also just to mention, uh, when I tweeted about the show, I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw it, Jeff, and, and, mm-hmm. and I put, a, put it on Facebook that you know, we're doing the show tonight. I actually uh, put a cover um, of a 1980 Creative Computing because it was a Christmas edition. And I, and I chose that because it's actually on the archive, uh, Internet Archive, so you can go there and read that that issue for free yeah oh yeah i see it now so uh, so check that out listeners and somebody even commented that see now we're segueing into our social media oh yeah uh, so take that away somebody actually commented on that uh saying saying wow they remember that magazine uh, yeah james bishop uh yeah archive.org's got wonderful i mean you can just read read and read and read there you're talking about vintage uh computing books and, and, and yeah, information and books, yeah. that's Boy, you can just read. Like I said, <laughs> I, I don't think there's an end to it. Uh, very good effort was put into all the computer books and magazines that people can get their hands on. Uh, let's see. Since the last show, the only comments we got on Facebook, somebody tried to say we can get 20 to 50 free likes if we go to this. You know, obviously somebody trying to sell their services or get people to uh, – yeah, will you buy those? Allo Trojan horses. I don't know. I don't click on those things. In fact, I think I hit it. Um, and another one, somebody just re- replied to the episode's Facebook post with the letter Y, capital Y. <laughs> don't know why, but that is a Y. Um, uh, who knows? Looks like somebody who, uh, uh, let's see, MSX at MSX and works at, oh, I can't pronounce this. It's in a foreign tongue, but I guess it's an MSX fan. Yeah. Uh, Mika Tati? Tati? Oh, I think think he's posted a few times before. Or maybe he typed the Y and forgot or deleted or, you know, wanted to pass it and just ended up putting that out. Maybe it was just an incomplete post. It's hard to say, but that's what's on uh, Facebook since then. Yeah, nothing really to speak about on uh, Twitter. So uh, just kind of normal stuff. Nothing so so new. I saw where you printed a uh, 3D printed a new reel for your 8mm film projector. That was cool. Yeah, that worked out pretty good. Uh, some decorating ideas uh, that are coming up for like uh, a media-based. Um, you know, they have those lamps with the, the empty glass bottoms that you can fill stuff in there. Yeah. You know, people put marbles or stones or rocks. Well, one of the things is we're going to unreal a, a vintage movie film into that. You know, just loosely un, unreal it and let it just sit in there all kind of half wound up uh, on its own. Oh, but before we it. do that, But before we do that, I have to play it on my projector so I can digitally record it. Oh, okay, good. We found uh, an eight millimeter movie reel of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth from the 1950s. I think it was when it was. Anyway, it's black and white, and I don't have a take up reel on my eight millimeter projector, Uh, so I had to print one. So I had to print one, (laughs) which is great because I I found that on that Thingiverse that I was talking about at the uh, beginning of the show, and it's just basically two halves that you print on your 3D printer, and you just snap it together, and it's an authentic 8mm reel, and I can print either a 3-inch, 5-inch, or 7-inch diameter reel, and I printed the 5-inch diameter. Now what I need to do, because the reel I printed was an original 8mm projector reel, 
and now they have like that Super 8 stuff. Yeah, you know, from like the sixties and seventies. Well, that yeah. has a smaller spindle, mm-hmm. and this this uh, movie we bought has a smaller spindle, so it doesn't work on my eight millimeter projector, which uses <laughs> the larger one. So I have to print, or I may have to print an adapter. No, I don't have to print an adapter. I have to print another reel. I have to unwind the uh, uh, the the Queen Elizabeth reel into the new one I printed, and then reel it back onto another one that I print. So I can play it on my projector, and then yeah. I'll, I'm just going to set up my high def camera to view the whole thing when I play it. So I'll at least have a digital archive of it, and then you know we can put it to use for decoration. I hate it when people buy this stuff and they just do something with it before they can preserve it in some way. And I also have an eight millimeter camera from like the '50s, or projector rather, not a camera, and uh, and some movies and some miscellaneous somebody's home movies, which are. Um, Pretty neat. Actually, yeah, watch their I color. have 16 millimeter stuff like that, and it's not in color. But, but I do have home movies of somebody's visit to the 1964 World's Fair. Oh wow! I have to get them copied onto digital. Now I also have a 16 millimeter projector too. But when I first ran this, it broke in the middle. Oh, I want to see those. So I have to get a splicer to splice it together, or I can just record what I can. And then you know play the next part, and then just digitally edit together. But yes, I want to get those copied out. Uh, and I picked all this equipment up. Uh, uh, must have been a stack of about twelve sixteen millimeter movie reels, a sixteen millimeter projector, an eight millimeter projector, and boxes of slides and those block cartridges that go through a, a projector. But I don't have the projector for those cartridges. Mm-hmm. I bought it all for like thirty bucks at a at a like a yard sale type thing or or a flea market type. Thing. Yeah, that's where I got my projector. It was from like Craigslist for like twenty five dollars for the box. Of pulling movies. all this stuff away, and it's like, boy, you know, this is somebody's memories. You know, yeah, but I kind of think it, you know, there's nothing like the ones I have. There's nothing that's private per se, or um, so in a way, I think it's kind of honoring the people by watching it. I just feel that way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if I, I can archive the images digitally, archive them. Uh, I still have to buy a slide projector that works with these slides cartridges. Um, I, I bought one for five bucks at a antique store up in mid mid state Pennsylvania, uh, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. There's a place up there, but it uses the boxy type slide cartridges, but it's not the same kind. But I only bought the machine for five bucks. It's like an immaculate condition. I know I can at least get thirty or forty bucks selling on eBay, and then take that money and buy the one I want. But hopefully this isn't useless information for everybody listening. But if you ever find yourself, you want to get into vintage, you know, old movies and projectors and stuff. So there is a difference between eight millimeter and super eight. Don't get yeah, super eight has this, the smaller spindle, uh, for one. And then it also has the audio track. Yeah. So they're not compatible. Uh, the frame sizes aren't the same. I don't think so. I don't think you can play on the, I may run into an issue then. I think it's, See, I don't think there's audio. I look closely. Usually you can see the audio track on these things, but I looked at the film, and I don't see that banded audio track that's beside it. Um, it might well, I know like an 8 millimeter camera, I mean projector, that I guess, I don't know. I don't think it'll work with the... Like the frame size is a little yeah. off, so it'd be off track. It'll start skewing. But um, well, if anything, my parents have a, a Super 8 projector. I can always borrow. But it's from amazing them. when you get the thing running, you know, and just how well it works. 
It's just pretty neat. And the sound yes. it makes. I, I like <laughs> And it. the smell of the ozone from the motors. Yeah. yeah I I had the 16 millimeter one running for a while and the, the, the smell of the ozone got to me after, you know, after bed, it's just that motor running and the sparking that goes on inside the motor, these older motors, it creates a very bitter smell. So that's going to do it for this show. And, uh, Oh, we had email. Oh, we had email. Yeah. So nothing special on Twitter to mention. So go ahead uh, with email. Well, one of the things was, and I'm sure a lot of people heard this, uh, there was, and we're going to fix it. It's going to get fixed. Apparently, the ending music was overlaid over top of the middle of the last episode. So that was our secret stuff. We didn't want people to hear it, but we had to say it. Um, Normally, because what I do (laughs) when I edit edit the episode is place the audio, and then once that's all done, then then drag the existing, that that music appropriately to where it goes. So, you know, we're supposed to put the subliminal stuff there. <laughs> so I guess somehow I duplicated it and then left it, the other one, in there. So Yeah. Um, let's see. And the person mentioned that in an email because I guess we asked for audio comments, but he tried to attach one to an email, but it got rejected. Huh. So that's something I got to look into. And another Remember, you can share it with this in. Dropbox, too. Oh, yeah. If you have a Dropbox and you can you know, create a link for us, we can get it that way. Just email us with the link. Um, that, that would work. Drive and then we got another one. Somebody, uh, let's see. I'm trying to pronounce these. Uh, M-A-R-C-I-N. Marcin? Yeah, uh, yeah. Perchnicki? I, I'm, I'm probably butchering that name. Uh, says he really likes the, the podcast, but he was surprised that we weren't familiar with individual computers, the, the company, or that there are USB interfaces for the Amiga. And, you know, I did see them when I was looking for the stuff for this show. I found them. And yeah, there is a USB interface for the Amiga. And so he, he shows about, uh, he, he provides links for individual computers and some of the stuff that they have. Brand new uh, stuff for the Amiga, like 68030 accelerators with lots of RAM on board. Um, and whole bunch of other stuff he talks about uh the apollo accelerators new books so for amiga people um and then he has links to other amiga shops huh so a lot of information a lot of useful information yeah retro amy i think i remember seeing them before they have uh products for many different systems accelerators for the amiga 500 600 and 1200 Uh, but i don't see any prices here there are no products in this category. Okay, that's why I don't see any prices. Mega 1200. Okay, so you can get accelerators uh, here. An 030 accelerator with 128 meg of RAM for 165.84. That's a lot of RAM for an Amiga. Uh, IDE controllers for the Amiga and adapters. So yeah, it looks like a place that you know. It seems like more stores like this are in Europe. Uh, than in the U.S., where you can get just little accessories, you know, things to keep your Amiga working or to enhance your Amiga. Or uh, they have Nintendo, but it looks like mostly Amiga stuff. Hmm. Stuff for modern computers, PCI cards. Anyway. I think that's cool. More right. more stuff out there. Okay, now we're at the end. We're going to wrap it up. I just happened to stumble on this, so I'm going to mention it. It wasn't planned, but because uh, I was looking at that website, um, individual computers and stuff. Individual computers, I mean. I, well, 
I think it's the right place. Vintage is the new old.com. But anyway, I heard of it. Yeah. I think we've talked about Commodore free. You ever check that out? The, the, uh, PDF, you know, the online Commodore magazine magazine. Yeah. So last issue was 95. Um, so anyway, just so I happen to stumble on that, check it out. It's Commodore free. Oh, there's a new podcast. It's a free Commodore, um, magazine. Oh, did you know Kevin Savitz and Carrington Vanston got together for a new podcast? Oh, I think I did see that in past. Called Eaten by a Gru. New podcast covers classic text adventures. I, I recognize the Monster Feet uh, production company. That's Carrington's. Yeah. All right. Does I just got out? another one I'm going to add. It looks like it's out uh, December 3rd. Okay. Um, or is it out yet? That's for the next episode. Oh, and then they say the theme song is awesome. Yeah, they did Zork 1. Uh, great underground empire well it looks like i gotta add another podcast to my uh feed burner which i haven't been keeping up on and listening to lately cool all right i'm gonna wrap it up so okay let me get back to the notes here so in less than two weeks we'll be doing show 54 uh so that's for friday december 16th and we're going to move back into uh, the regular scheduled programming with the next phase of the third tier of personal computing. We basically wrapped up um, the uh, handheld, well, handheld computing as far as like the DOS handhelds and PDAs and all. And so now we're moving into the humble organizer. So on the next show, we're going to cover the Sharp Wizard OZ9500 and, and associated similar uh, other sharp wizards as well as the palm pilot and perhaps even some other notable uh organizers so we'll talk more about that uh you can find all our show notes at the history send feedback to feedback at history again we'd love to have uh you know email or especially audio content and if you have any problem emailing it to us um dropbox is free google drive is free so you can just upload it there and then send us the link and we can grab your mp3 out of there uh, and please tell someone, someone, God, I can't talk. Tell someone about us, please. Do a review on iTunes, but especially uh, just just spread the word. Facebook, Google+, Twitter, one of the discussion groups or forums. And we have a Facebook page. Uh, all these links are in the show notes. We have a Twitter page and also a, uh, a link to the Vintage Computer Forum, which is pretty much the primary sort of, uh, you know, Vintage Computing discussion forums out there. And a good one at that. Yep. So that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, caveat and tour. Let the buyer beware. Always fully research all of your purchases and sellers first before buying. So see you next time. See ya. Your watch, please. I'll buy. I'll buy.